Good morning. My name is Katya Fort Roden, and my pronouns are she and her. I am a member of the Board of Trustees, and it is my pleasure to welcome you to worship with us today at the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Columbia. As we begin, we honor the Piscataway people and their ancestors, as it is upon their land that we reside. We are served by the Reverend Paige Getty, minister, as well as a talented and dedicated team of religious educators, musicians, and other professional, and professional staff. Much appreciation goes out to the team of many lay leaders and volunteers who incredible efforts and dedication help to keep us going and connected. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, whoever you love, whatever your faith tradition, you are welcome here. We particularly welcome any guests joining us this morning, and we encourage you to fill out a visitor's form in the lobby or online, and others virtually in a personal social hour after the service. Given the circumstances today, there will not be a social hour, but we will be having a treat, which I'll tell you about in a minute. Finally, those attending worship in our sanctuary, the Owe Brown Interface Center this morning, please take a moment to silence any devices you may have with you. So I have four announcements this morning. The Group Relations Workshop Committee and Reverend Page will host a conflict resolution session this Tuesday from 6 to 9 p.m. It's facilitated by Brian Block and William Tanzi. All members of the UUCC are welcome to attend this multi-platform event. Learn more and access the link in the UUC website. We have a slide for the next announcement. There we go. You're welcome to attend the UU The Vote launch at 11 a.m. this morning, either on Zoom or in the music room, to find out what you can do to reach voters and underrepresented communities to get them engaged in the democratic process. The midterm election is less than five months away, and everything is on the line, including reproductive rights, climate change, racial and gender equity, and so much more. Get involved and vote your UU values by attending this event. You are typically hungry by the time worship is over, or like me right now, <laughs> on Sunday mornings. While we sing our final hymn, you are daydreaming about a snack you are treating yourself to when you get home. Well, this morning, you won't have to wait until you get home. UUCC high schoolers are selling delicious baked goods in the lobby to raise funds for their service trip. They'll be offering individually wrapped brownies, muffins, cookies, and other goodies, including gluten-free and vegan options. Please join me in supporting our youth with your donations or purchases today. Your post-service snack awaits. And now, from the board minutes from your board of trustees. We held our June monthly meeting last Tuesday. In closing out the board year, our spiritual practice included a look forward and board members began considering what they might tackle in the year ahead. We also heard from Scotty Scott with the Covenant of Right Relations Committee and we voted to sign UUCC onto a resolution for the Maryland Citizen Health Initiative. We welcome new board members, Melissa and Lori, and we're saying goodbye to Colette and myself. Um, as I'm a little nervous today. It's my last time standing in front of you as a board member. Details 
will be um, are in our Good Governance blog post coming out in a few days. And I thank you so much for allowing me the opportunity this last year to serve on the board. Tom. Thank you, Katya. Good morning, everybody. My name is Paige Getty. I use the pronouns she, her, and hers, and it is my great privilege to serve as minister of this congregation and to welcome all of you and to welcome back some of you who are newcomers and uh, among us. If you are in the sanctuary and need a hearing device, remember those are available from the sound booth in the back. The tech team will be glad to assist you there. Everyone can find the order of service online e using either the link that's in the Zoom chat or the QR code that's going to appear on the screen to connect with your mobile device. If you are a guest with us today and haven't filled out a visitor form yet, please do that so that we can stay in touch with you throughout the week, just beyond Sundays. And as always, we will honor personal joys and sorrows during the service, later in the service today. So if you have a personal sorrow or joy that you would like to have voiced, please put that in the book at the back of the sanctuary or email it to joysandsorrows at uucolumbia.net. And a reminder that wherever you are, whether you're in the sanctuary or joining us remotely, you can practice some of our worship rituals by lighting your own chalice or flame, even if you don't have a chalice, placing pebbles in a bowl of water when we share joys and sorrows so that we can share those embodied rituals, regardless of where we are today. Many thanks to everyone who's contributing to this morning's service, especially the hospitality team, both online and in person, and our tech team here in the room and online who are helping us welcome worshipers from wherever they're joining us. In today's service, we honor Juneteenth, a holiday observed for many years, especially by black Americans. It's now a federal holiday, a day commemorating the freeing of the last people held in chattel slavery in the United States on June 19, 1865. And while Juneteenth has long been celebrated by some among us, 
there is still much about this history and its ongoing legacy to learn, especially for those of us who are white. The intention in the service today is to center voices and stories and feelings and experiences of those whose ancestors were enslaved, especially those who were enslaved here in the United States. Those among us who live with the direct effects of slavery in their bodies and in their day-to-day -day lives as black Americans. And the intention is for the rest of us, especially those of us who identify as white, to listen with open minds and open hearts, to welcome the discomfort of what we're being asked to hear and face and accept and act upon, and for us to learn. So I'm especially honored to welcome UUCC member Brooke Abercrombie to the pulpit this morning. Brooke's personal reflection about the importance of this holiday and of honoring our history and of the ongoing legacy of slavery will be the heart of today's message. So thank you, Brooke, for bringing that among us. In that spirit of learning and then acting upon what we learn, this spring, under the guidance of our music ministry's leadership, UUCC made a commitment to offer financial reparations for the music that we classify generally as African-American spirituals. The creators of these spirituals were never compensated for their work, and yet we've been using and benefiting from their music for centuries. So I encourage you to read more about this project online. There's a link from the order of service. It also probably nah, it doesn't appear there. That's how to give money. Um, but there's a link in the order of service to our Spiritual Reparations Project page online. The basic gist is that whenever we use spirituals in worship, we will speak briefly about the history of the pieces, and then you're invited to contribute funds, money that will go to the descendants of the artists. You may give online, as you can see, or in the basket that's on top of the hymnal shelf in the back of the sanctuary. Today, we will be singing two spirituals, and Tom will also be playing two on the keyboard. You've already heard one of them. Oh, Freedom is a spiritual that dates from around the end of slavery, and like Swing Low, Sweet Chariot that you'll hear at the end of the service, it was an important song in the civil rights movement in the 1950s and 1960s. Swing Low, Sweet Chariot was first recorded in 1909 by the Fisk Jubilee Singers. Woke Up This Morning With My Mind Stayed on Freedom was a freedom song based on an earlier gospel song, With My Mind Stayed on Jesus. And then I'm On My Way that we'll sing later in the service is another freedom song derived from or patterned after a gospel song. So today we worship in the spirit of learning and of listening and of honoring, all in the name of liberation for all of us. I invite you now to breathe. Open mind and heart and body and hear these words written by the Reverend Alicia Ford from a piece titled, When We Pause to Remember. Alicia writes, Becoming explorers and learners in the world around us, humbled by what we do not yet know, 
fulfilling the promise of healing a fragmented world, laboring not just in hope, but also in love. In this spirit we commit, in this spirit we gather, in this spirit we pray. Let us worship. Will you please rise now in body or in spirit? And we're going to sing together, Oh, I Woke Up This Morning. seated. So you heard from Katya already that our UU The Vote team is holding its launch meeting after service this morning because the midterm elections are five months away, the primaries for which are about four weeks away. And while that effort may not be about Juneteenth, it certainly is related, especially as we live with relentless efforts to impede voter access especially for black voters. So I'm very glad to welcome you, UCC member Lori Alderman to the chancel as we light our chalice in celebration of UU The Vote. Good morning from, from your UUCC The Vote team. Our, our words today for the lighting are from Drew Fulton a first-time voter. Hello, my name is Drew, and I will be able to vote for the first time in the next election. Um, and so I just wanted to provide 
um, some of my thoughts and feelings uh, about being able to vote for the first time. Uh, so one of the big things is I'm feeling overwhelmed because um, it's just a very big step to be able to go and vote. Uh, I'm feeling a little unprepared. I don't uh, quite know a bunch about the candidates and the positions that I'm and what the positions do that I'm going to be voting for. Um, I'm also feeling a little anxious just to go and get it over with. And then I'm also feeling quite excited uh, to be able to go vote for the first time, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, so I hope that just provided some context to you guys on how uh, young new voters like me feel about voting. For My, my fancy lighter isn't working. Thank you, Lori. And thank you to Drew remotely. I'm going to invite you to rise again in body or in spirit as we join our voices, this time not in singing, but in speaking together our congregational covenant as we remind ourselves of these bonds and these promises that hold us together as a community. Strengthened by our common humanity and inspired by our seven principles, we promise to be a safe and welcoming community, to nurture each other's hearts and spirits, to delight in the beauty of our diversity, to struggle together on our spiritual journeys, and to challenge each other to live our values. Thus, we pledge our time and vigor to the continuing celebration of spirit, of the world, and of humankind. And now will you turn to one another and say good morning and greet one another into this space. Good morning to those of you online. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. It's good to see you all. Good morning. Good morning. Happy Father's Day. Good to see you. Hi, Kim. Happy Juneteenth. Hello, June. Hey, Abby. Good morning. Good morning. Love you all. Hi, Lori. Hi, Richard Gay. What a good looking crew. Hello, So guess what I did yesterday? Oh, it's upside down. Oops, sorry about that. Thank you. I did go down to the mall. I went to a march. Well, it wasn't really a march. Every year from poverty and inequality in the U.S. And we demand to lift from the bottom so everyone rises. And this one also talks about lifting from the bottom so everyone rises. And this is important because, well, you know, for most of us here in this room, I think it's pretty likely that we have enough to eat every day, that we have access to good health insurance, that we have a safe place to live, 
that we can feel safe in our lives. And for those of you who are maybe a little bit younger, we call that privilege because we are safe. And for some of us, that might have been true even when we were children and all our lives growing up. That wasn't necessarily true all the time for me in my life. And that perhaps wasn't true for some of you who are in this room or watching us online. So the march yesterday, not a march, an action, talked about how we have to lift everyone up, how we have to make everyone safe. And when everyone is safe, then our world will be a better world, right? So this weekend, Paige already talked about Juneteenth and what it means. We're going to watch a video. I didn't do the recording because it needed to be in the voice of a person who had slavery in their ancestry. So I found a better one than I could produce. It's a story about a young girl named Maisie and her father explaining why we celebrate Juneteenth. And I hope you'll enjoy it. And as you're listening to the story, I hope you'll think about what it means to be a people who were ancestors, whose ancestors were enslaved, if you did not have that in your family history. And I hope you think about our world today and all of the issues that have to be overcome because there sure are a lot. And I hope that, um, that you'll imagine what strength it took for the family that we're about to hear and other families that are in this room and what strength it still takes for people who are marginalized, who don't have as much privilege. So I wonder what you can do in your lives to make it safer for everyone. Parents, we're going to be outside by the playground to pick them up. Will you play the tape, please? Juneteenth for Maisie, written and illustrated by Floyd Cooper. For the Williams, the Banks, the Perkins, and the Cooper families, the clans that form my tree, Floyd. Maisie wants to play outside, but it is too late. It's getting dark, Maisie. It's time to stay inside. Maisie wants a cookie, but it is time for bed. Not now, little one. It's too close to bedtime. Maisie wants to stay up late, but she is too little. Bedtime is the rule, sweet girl. Why so grumpy, sugar bear? Asks Dad. I can't go where I want, have what I want, or do what I want, answers Maisie. Well, tomorrow you can have a celebration, says Dad. What are we celebrating? Asks Maisie. We will celebrate the day your great-great-great-grandpa Mose crossed into Liberty. The day will be celebrated by us and many more families on the day we call Juneteenth. Dad lifts Maisie into his arms. I bet you're tired of hearing no all the time. Well, great-great-great-grandpa Mose heard no even more. Grandpa Mose worked in fields that stretched all the way to sunset. He and the other enslaved people would be bone-tired, but they had to keep going. Their enslavers wouldn't let them quit, but as they worked, they thought about freedom. And before they finally went to sleep at night, they prayed about freedom, 
and made plans for change and a better future. Some slaves ran north to freedom, following a bright star in the sky. They sweat, they bled, and they cried till those cries were quieted by a single proclamation from a brave president. Grandpa Mose heard that proclamation, read from the balcony of the hotel on that warm June day in Galveston, Texas. Grandpa Mose heard nothing but cheers, saw nothing but happiness, and felt nothing but pride shared by all those around him. The cheers became dancing, the dancing became celebrating. It went on and on into the night. Grandpa Mose and the others had found freedom. They continued to work, but this time they were paid for their hard work. So they worked, and they saved, and they never forgot the moment they heard, the moment that changed their lives forever. But things weren't perfect. Black people still struggled to stand shoulder to shoulder with white people. They still weren't treated as equals. It wasn't easy, but they never gave up. And every year on Juneteenth, they remembered. They marched for jobs. They lobbied for schools and the right to vote. They shouted for opportunity. And every year on Juneteenth, they celebrated and remembered. They learned and they grew. They forgave. They excelled and achieved. They became heroes. Now, sweet Maisie, it's your turn to celebrate just like great-great-great-grandpa Mose. It's your turn, Maisie, to eat some barbecue and drink some strawberry pop. It's your turn to celebrate and to remember. Thank you for the story, Miss Robin. And now the kids are going to go outside with Miss Robin and I think Miss Kristen too. Um, and as they leave, we will sing together Circle Round for Freedom. Before we move on to hear this morning's message from Brooke, we're going to pause for a moment to invite you to offer the sacrifice of your financial gifts to the work of this congregation in the world. So as Tom again offers his gift of music, we invite you to contribute either online following the instructions on the screen or by putting cash or checks in the basket in the back of the sanctuary. Thank you for your generosity as your offerings are freely given and very, very gratefully received.
Good morning, UUCC. My name is Brooke Abercrombie, and I joined UUCC during the pandemic. My decision to join was greatly influenced by Reverend Page's bold and direct acknowledgement of racial issues that still plague the United States 157 years after the troops marched into Galveston in 1865. However, please bear in mind, this was more than two years after the Emancipation Proclamation was delivered in 1863. And that's why for me, Juneteenth is more than a celebration of freedom. It's also a reminder of how the United States continues to kick the can of social justice down the road. Today, I want to share some thoughts on the history of race, slavery, family, and freedom, particularly here in the United States. And I'm going to share some very personal uh, family history notes today. It's not a comfortable reflection for me to share and probably won't be easy for you to hear, but I do hope that in the end, it also offers hope. Of course, we all know the basics of race and slavery in the United States. Black people were enslaved by white people to provide unpaid labor that set the foundation for this nation's economy. What we don't all know is how that came to be and how intentional it was. The author Ta-Nehisi Coates in his book, Between the World and Me, wrote these words, race is the child of racism, not the father. In the interest of time, I'll skip all of the reference and simply state that the construct of race was actually created in the 15th century and effectively weaponized in the 17th century. Whiteness symbolized purity and superiority. Anything not white, even the tiniest bit, was not pure and therefore not superior. Those who would proclaim themselves white would use the classification as black for justification of enslavement for purely economic purposes. So it stands to reason that the term white supremacy is redundant. That is the part of the psychological component of systemic racism that I think we miss. I don't remember the exact occasion, and it quite possibly could have been Juneteenth last year, uh, but Reverend Page mentioned something in one of her sermons that struck me and sent me down a rabbit hole that I'll go into shortly. But she mentioned that she recognized that not all white people were the descendants of slave owners, right? And so oftentimes they feel like, you know, I wasn't a descendant of slaves, of slave owners, so it's sort of an off-the-hook kind of argument that we hear often. However, white people are still the beneficiaries of the privilege that came along with being white. But even more so than that, it reminded me that though not all white people are the descendants of slave owners, all black people in the United States are the descendants of slave owners. That makes me a little emotional. Slave owners often used black women's bodies for sex, producing children 
whom they would then consider property. They sometimes sold, but seldom raised them as their own children. They didn't acknowledge them. This inspired me to research my own genealogy in search of my white ancestors. So I signed up for Ancestry DNA, and as fate would have it, I soon discovered my first and so far only known white ancestor. It turns out that he was none other than one of the most notorious founding fathers, American revolutionary, third vice president to the United States, and yes, killer of Alexander Hamilton, Aaron Burr. While still married to Theodosia, Aaron Burr bore two children with her maidservant. Her name was Mary Emmons, also known as Eugenie Berharnay. And Mary was from Kolkata, India, and had gone independently, apparently, to Haiti, where she met Theodosia Prevost Burr's first husband, Jacques Prevost, who hired her as a maidservant. And then after Jacques Prevost died, she stayed on with Theodosia Prevost, who then married Aaron Burr. Now, Theodosia and Aaron Burr only had one child who survived, and that was Theodosia Jr., whom many of you may have heard in the uh, play Hamilton, because he sings about her. Um, she went on to have a child named Aaron Burr, who died at the age of 10. Theodosia died at sea. So therefore, there are no white living descendants of Aaron Burr. The only living descendants of Aaron Burr are through his black grandchildren, because his children, Louisa Carroll and John Pierre Burr, who were half Indian and half white, found no community in Philadelphia because there were very few South Asians there. So they found community in the freed black community, and that's where they found their respective spouses. Now, I want to tell you a little bit about John Pierre Burr because he is just as special in my family lineage as Aaron Burr. Aaron Burr got his degree from Princeton at the age of 17, and he entered at the age of 13. His father was president of Princeton, then known as College of New Jersey, and his grandfather on his mother's side was also president of Princeton. However, John Pierre Burr, son of Aaron Burr, was denied entrance to Princeton solely because he was not white. He then went on to become a conductor on the Underground Railroad. Because he could pass for white, he often would walk black um, runaway slaves to freedom. He was also an associate of Harriet Tubman and Frederick Douglass, and very active in the abolitionist movement. So fast forward, my father's grandmother, descendant of John Pierre Burr, was Sadie Burr Allen. She would also have two children, Vanita and Walter John Pierre. So she named her son, for her great-great-grandfather. They were also both so light that they could pass for white. Vanita Allen, my grandmother, my father's mother, married a dark-skinned black man 
But because she could pass for white, they were often separated on the train as they traveled through the suburbs of Philadelphia. Walter John Pierre made a fateful decision. He decided, indeed, when he enlisted in World War I, that he would pass for white. This came at an enormous sacrifice because it meant he had to deny his family. So he joined the war, and through my research through Ancestry.com, I discovered that he did indeed marry, moved to Chicago, um, married a white woman, had five children before they were divorced, and after that, there is no history of my uncle, my great uncle. I can only wonder if possibly his secret was exposed, which led to his divorce, possibly his untimely demise. We will never know, because Walter John Pierre Burr never saw his black family again, all so that he could reap the benefits of the privilege of appearing white. My distant cousin, Sherry Burr, who's a lawyer in New Mexico who actually did get to attend Princeton, did the research that resulted in the Aaron Burr Association acknowledging that John Pierre Burr was indeed the son of Aaron and allowed for this fact to be put on his headstone at his grave. This did not happen until 2019 and again met with great opposition. So this past week, literally last Friday, the 10th of June, I had the opportunity to meet my distant cousin Sherry and many other distant cousins who are related to Aaron Burr through his sister. Um, so there were many white relatives there as well. But I say all of this to say that in the end, you could be sitting next to a black person who is your distant relative. For us as black people in the United States, we are not only children of the enslaved, the children of the white slave owners. And we are denied the inheritance of the benefits of this country in so many different systemic ways, and yet we are family. I hope that as we move forward, that my white brothers and sisters and cousins and aunties and uncles will look around you and begin to look at people that you've been conditioned to think of as other, as family. Thank you. Thank you, Brooke. As Brooke already mentioned, we're remembering the events today of June 19, 1865, when Union soldiers led by Major General Gordon Granger arrived in Galveston, Texas to officially announce to the residents there the end of the Civil War 
and the formal end of slavery. It had been two and a half months since Confederate General Robert E. Lee surrendered at Appomattox, and two and a half years since President Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation that officially ended legal slavery of people in areas liberated by Union troops. But not of everyone, as historian Henry Louis Gates Jr. reminds us, because those in border states in which slavery remained legal until the ratification of the 13th Amendment. But in Texas, two and a half years after the Emancipation Proclamation was signed, slaveholders still had not freed the people they had enslaved. So Juneteenth marks the arrival of the military to enforce the Emancipation Proclamation. So Juneteenth is observed each year on June 19th. For those among us whose ancestors were enslaved, this holiday, Emancipation Day, Freedom Day, is a day marked in part by celebration. But scholar Skip Gates reminds us that these days, Juneteenth is an opportunity not only to celebrate, but also to speak out. To speak out about the truth of our history to speak out about how the caste system is still thriving, to speak out about the legal slavery that is still authorized by the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, an amendment that says neither slavery nor involuntary servitude except as punishment for crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. So we remember and we speak out on Juneteenth, as many wise people have said, because none of us is free until all of us are free. So for those among us whose skin looks like mine, who's, who identify as white, whose ancestors were not enslaved, but were more likely to be slaveholders. Juneteenth is a day of learning, of listening, of acceptance, of commitment to being a co-conspirator in the ongoing effort to achieve full liberation, of honoring, as Brooke has said, that we are family. In her recently published collection of essays titled On Juneteenth, published last year, Texas native Annette Gordon-Reed says of the African-Americans in Galveston in 1865, the former slaves had to be very wary of open celebration. She writes that while the holiday Juneteenth has grown to be an integral part of life in Texas, celebrated now by blacks and whites, whites in Texas then were incensed by what had transpired, so much so that some reacted violently to blacks' displays of joy at emancipation. All over the South, but in Texas particularly, whites unleashed a torrent of violence against the freed men and women, and sometimes the whites who supported them, that lasted for years. And this is a legacy with which we still live. 
In their essay, Fear, published as part of Nicole Hannah-Jones' The 1619 Project, Michelle Alexander and Leslie Alexander write that nothing has proved more threatening to our democracy or more devastating to black communities than white fear of black freedom dreams. They write, there has never been a time in United States history when black rebellions did not spark existential fear among white people, often leading to violent response. Even when resistance has been peaceful or purely symbolic, such as black fists raised during the medal ceremony at the 1968 Olympics, or a knee taken on the football field during the national anthem nearly 50 years later, any sign of rebellion has frequently resulted in threats or acts of violence perpetrated by white vigilantes, militia groups, and the police, often culminating in the creation or strengthening of systems of racial and social control. They go on to say that the reflexive impulse to respond to black people with severe punitiveness is traceable to the 18th and 19th centuries when white people desperately sought to control a large, unfree population who refused to submit to their enslavement. The deep-seated, gnawing terror that black people might one day rise up and demand for themselves the same freedoms and inalienable rights that led white colonists to declare the American Revolution has shaped our nation's politics, culture, and systems of justice ever since. The specific forms of repression and control may have changed over time, but the underlying pattern established during slavery has remained. Modern-day policing, surveillance, and mass criminalization, as well as white vigilante violence and know-your-place aggression, have histories rooted in white fear, not merely of black crime or black people, but of black liberation. Nothing has proven more threatening to our democracy or more devastating to black communities than white fear of black freedom dreams. Juneteenth is not a holiday for me. It's not for me or for others like me whose ancestors were not enslaved, whose whiteness protects us from so many of the obstacles and the life-threatening violence that our black neighbors face, and whose relative ignorance fuels the complicity and complacency and greed that continue to impede true liberation for all of our human siblings. The facts of what happened on June 19th in 1865 it's worth commemorating, as long as we don't forget that what followed that so-called freedom and emancipation was Jim Crow and other re-envisioned forms of racism and oppression and slavery. Similarly, the designation last year of this observance as a federal holiday is a lovely gesture, but it is only a gesture. Juneteenth was not and is not enough. 
We must continue the work of dismantling systemic racism and white supremacy culture, and we must talk about reparations, and we must not rest on the laurels of past progress. Juneteenth isn't for those of us who are white, but we, Unitarian Universalists, people of faith, we definitely are for Juneteenth and for its lessons and the directions in which it points us moving forward. So we will continue to listen and to learn and to grow. Last year, I invited some members of the congregation who know that they are the descendants of people who were enslaved to reflect on the question, what does it mean to be free? In response to that question, Kirsten Nelson sent me a Nina Simone video, and she said, consider this my statement. I listen to it almost every night as I fall asleep. And if I wake up in the middle of the night, I listen again as many times as necessary until I fall back to sleep. Praise Nina for her beautiful, enduring version, and praise to Dr. Billy Taylor for writing it. It touches my soul every time I listen. So we watched that video together in worship on this day last year, and I offer it to you again today. May it both agitate us and comfort us. Amen.
then I'd sing Cause I know how it feels to be free Then I'd sing Cause I know
Elijah, are you willing to place the stones in the water while I read the joys and sorrows? Thank you. During worship each week, we not only give voice to personal joys and sorrows, but we also drop individual pebbles into a communal bowl of water as a way to represent the way that each life and each story, each sorrow, each joy ripples out and touches all of us and is held in our collective embrace. So in addition to celebrating Juneteenth, many among us today are observing Father's Day, a day that may be one of gratitude, a day of joy, of pain, of grief, of playfulness, or for so many, it's complicated. So today, our first pebble is to honor all who father, who father lovingly regardless of official titles or formal relationships, and we honor all the myriad feelings associated with this day. And one last pebble. This is for all that resides among us in our hearts and does not have words at this time. This is for you. Thank you, Katya. Will you now join me for a few moments of reflection and prayer? And then those of you in the sanctuary, if you would like to honor your own joys and sorrows in silence, you may come forward to the table during the music meditation. Great and Holy Spirit of love, of life, spirit of courage, spirit of justice, spirit of growth. May we know your presence among us as each of us seeks comfort in our worry and our fear and our sorrow and seeks hope for ourselves, for our children, for future generations. May we know this community and this world to be one of love, of encouragement, of hope. Let us share a few moments of quiet stillness that each of us might honor the prayers and hopes that live within us.
Amen. Blessed be. Will you please rise in body or in spirit? Hear these words of benediction, and then we're going to sing together, I'm on my way. We close with the words of Coretta Scott King, who said, struggle is a never-ending process. Freedom is never really won. You earn it and win it in every generation. Amen. On my way to the freedom land. I'm on my way to the freedom land. I'm on my way to the freedom land. I'm on my way. I'm on my way. If they say no.